Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world of golf. This week we'll be looking back on the Players' Championship and hear two fascinating exclusives from both Rory McIlroy and his coach, Michael Bannon. We'll also be previewing the Valspar and Maybank Championships and finish off with our usual quiz. Hello, my name's Tom Clark, and welcome to the clubhouse. And as ever, I am joined by Elliot Heath. Hello, Elliot. How are you? Hello, Tom. Uh, we're in a new clubhouse today, aren't we? We are. We're in a slightly different room in our Farnborough offices, which shares its it's, it's it's owned by the Country Life magazine. So we've got all kinds of different things. We've got a nice carpet, and there's a scarecrow in the corner, which looks just like Elliot. And I'm sitting on a fast, uh, sorry, a fantastic chair, like yeah. um, green leather. Probably looks. About 50 years old, would you say? Some, I have no idea how no, old she is. Very nice. Are. Indeed. But yes, very comfortable surrounding. So, yeah, and we're here to talk about... Should we talk about some golf? Did you play any golf for the weekend, Elliot? No. Um, no? No, I'm doing No golf? Up. So Call we, yourself a golfer. We had about five dump runs. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you're getting old. Look at these battle scars as well. <laughs> so I hope I don't have tech, this is it. So Elliot's bought his first. <laughs> Elliot's bought his first ever flat, and he's now tearing it apart to redo it. And I don't think you've got much DIY experience, have you, Elliot? No, but we ripped up. You've a got carpet. quite soft it's hands, quite... haven't you? You haven't got. You know, you're not used to a hard day's work, are you? No, uh, no, that's true. You answer question. I was going to say uh, this coming week. Me and my dad are playing our first round of the foursomes. Right. So next week I'll report back on that. Good. Judging... Try not to have too many arguments with each other. I know what you two are like. No, but judging by my dad's golf game over the past couple of years, I think it's going to be a fruity one. A fruity one? Yeah. I'm not sure what that means. As in, it's going to be... You're going to, there is going to We're going to lose, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how was your weekend? Uh, my weekend was very fascinating. I was in York. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So that was very. Are good you going to reveal why? No, I, can, I can do if, if you want me to. I, was at the, I, I can do. I was at the Liberal Democrat Spring Conference for those people who are interested in politics. There's quite a lot of people out there who are not particularly interested in politics at the moment. But are you allowed to? Re- normally, you keep your political. Well, bias. you just asked me a question, so I answered the question okay. there, Elliot. Unlike some politicians, of course. But anyway, should we stop talking about politics? Uh, and I, well, actually, I, I can talk about golf. I'm going away playing golf this weekend. Believe it or not. Wow. Uh, with uh, our my cricket club social um, group, and there's about 22 of us going away, so that should be raucous. So Where's this again? Sorry, it's Manor of Groves in Hertfordshire. Right. Yeah. So you just good tell plug me. there for Manor of Groves. Well, on the quite. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's good fee. Good deal you got as well, wasn't it? Decent deal. Yeah. No, they look after us when we go there. So uh, yeah, should be should be good fun. Playing for the Clark Cup. It's named after my brother, really, who organises these. Uh, these events and you can you can win a dodgy jacket at the end of the end of the weekend nice. so something yeah individual tour we can have a kind of like a group team thing at, in september but this is the individual comp so. how long has this been running for uh this is its second year okay. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 uh the weekend away has been going for oh, a long time about was about 15 16 years so yeah, wow. yeah so anyway enough about my golf and your golf there was some fan- really awesome golf which happened at the weekend. And Roy McIlroy, after all the chat, after you slagged him off last week, saying he was never, he's, not, he's almost not elite because he couldn't win anymore. Well, 
After a year, you're shaking your head. You don't like that comedy. I did not say that. <laughs> but after just over a year, Rory showed that he has still got it and he won the unofficial fifth major at the Player Championship. That was his 15th PJ Tour title. First victory in, as I said, a, a year. Says he feels like he's playing the best golf of his career, which is really exciting. Uh, and so far in 2019, he has finished fourth, fifth, fourth, second, first. So he's playing pretty decent. And he's back up to number four in the world. Great to see Rory win, yeah? Yeah, amazing. Uh, you forget what it's like to see Rory McIlroy win when it's been so long. But yeah, that was that was Rory back at his best. Like he says, he feels like he's back at his best. And potentially it's the start of a very exciting year. Yeah, he's got he's banging form now coming into major season. First majors, what, three, four weeks away. Masters... And the pressure that he may have been feeling going to Masters, which we kind of touched on last week, saying that's maybe one of the reasons why he hasn't won uh, the Masters yet. Well, he's it's he he now knows in himself that he can win. You know, this is any big tournament. The players is massive, two point three million dollars along those lines. Yeah, two point two five. Yeah. So, um, but he doesn't care about that, does he? He doesn't. But it's a lot of money this at the is- end. It's a lot of money, a lot of world ranking points, and everyone's gunning for it. Uh, and I thought it was a really good tournament, very, very tight. And Rory just managed to play the most sensible golf sometimes. We'll come on to some other people who didn't play very sensible golf, I'm sure. Just took it each hole at a time and was, was in the moment and, and, and executed the shots when required to. Yeah, so he double bogeyed the fourth, didn't he? And then he birdied the ninth to get a bit of momentum back. Missed a short putt on 14, and you were thinking, oh, this could be another one that's slipping away. And then that birdie on 15 was sensational, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Out of the bunker. Where you could even hear Harry Diamond, his caddy, saying, like, heck of a golf shot or something, as soon as he hit it. Uh, a brilliant birdie on 16, driver 8 iron or something, to the middle of the green. And then, really, that 16th second shot was where he won the tournament. He could have easily finished par bogey par or something. But to finish birdie par par... Yeah, on, a, on that up. tough that tough stretch at Sawgrass. I know we're going to again come on to the Sawgrass course later, but the 16, 17, 18 are, I think, really good stretch holes because they're all birdieable, or in the case of 16, also eagleable, eagleable if that's a word, but they're also really, really tough holes which actually can all lead to doubles as well. So, um, at the, at the least so I think that's where, why it's an exciting end to the players because you always know someone's going to play them really well and someone's going to play them really badly so um, it was it was brilliant so before we chat any more about uh, Rory and Sawgrass we've actually got a couple of bits of audio which we we got a couple of years ago now uh, first one is Rory McIlroy himself he reveals his practice secrets but then also we hear from his coach Michael Bannon about What's it like to coach Rory and why Rory is such an exceptional golfer? I guess it's hard. It's hard to put it across to people sometimes because you know, all they see is us on the golf course and, and you know, they, they watch us on TV. And um, I think the whole narrative around me from the beginning was talent and so talented and this and that, whatever. But you know, even before then, even as a teenager and... Uh, you know, turning pro, the amount of time I spent practicing and putting into my game, and then, you know, you realize once you turn pro, you almost need to take it to another level again and, and, and add certain areas to 
uh, to your game, whether it be the fitness part that you saw today or uh, try just to add different elements to your game. So, yeah, I, I don't think people appreciate how hard, how hard, I, I wouldn't say I work hard because, you know, going and spending the whole day on the driving range or in the gym isn't, you know, to some people isn't hard work, but that's, you know, I, I, I do spend a lot of time at it and it's not, like you're born with a certain talent, but you need to, to work as hard as you possibly can to, to, to turn that talent into something more than just potential and, and try to achieve your goals and achieve everything that you want to. I think if you're trying to make some sort of swing change or tweak something in your swing uh, before it feels 100% comfortable and 100% uh, like a subconscious thought, you don't even have to think about it. It takes thousands of repetitions, I would say. Like even at the minute I'm trying to tweak a couple of things, I'm actually, my, my, my left hand grip has gotten a little strong. And I haven't, I haven't thought about my grip since yeah. I was like 12 years old. Yeah. So all of a sudden now I'm thinking about trying to weaken the left hand grip a little bit. And like I, I practiced for a few days last week and the first, like the first couple of days it felt so strange. If, if, you can, if you can persevere and stick with that uncomfortableness, at the end of the day it's going to make you a better player. And I think sometimes what people don't do, they don't, they don't, they don't stick with something long enough to get through that period of, you know, they might try it for a couple of sessions with the pro or uh, at the range and it mightn't work and they'll just revert back to what they're comfortable with because what they're comfortable with, with it might make them hit a good shot every now and again and they're sort of happy with that. Yeah. So, yeah, there is, there's a certain point where you have to just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be uncomfortable with this for a while, but I know in the long run it's going to make me a better player. I, I, I sometimes, if, I, if I'm practicing on my own, I would find going to the range. Um, I'm practicing on my game more of a chore than going in the gym. But if you're practicing with people or if I have Michael there or Steve there or I'm going out and playing on the golf course, that's, that's a lot of fun. But if you're grinding away on your own on the range sometimes, that can, it can become quite monotonous and tedious and... and you really need to be focused and take breaks along the way to, to try and, I think it's more, not that, not, not that you get bored, but you get more, it's hard to keep your concentration up for that long, especially when you're working at something so hard. I hit golf balls to the point where I'm comfortable with what I've done, and I've always said quality over quantity any day of the week. So uh, there could be, like some of my best range sessions have been sessions that have lasted 40 minutes, really? 45 minutes, but then there's some times where you need to, to hit you know, a lot of balls, especially if you're working on something for the repetitions and, and just to try and make it comfortable. So I'd say on average, like if it was a practice week and I was getting ready for a tournament, you know, I'd, I'd hit balls for uh, at least an hour and a half to two hours every day. Uh, along, and that's just, okay, hitting balls, that's just on the range, but then you've got putting, short game, then go on the course. So you're basically at the golf course from nine in the morning until three or four in the afternoon it does it does make all the difference it makes the difference between um like if we're talking about par between carrying a bunker and not on the final hole of a major and being able to hit the ball from the fairway instead of in the rougher in the bunker you know it it all there, there's so many d tiny little var variables that if you can just get a little bit better you know make a huge difference in the long run normally you have to go and you have to start the player off, the young boy or girl, and start them off with the basic fundamentals of the golf swing and teach them how to swing and move and hit shots. But at that stage when Rory was eight, he actually had a lot of this. So what I had to do is I was starting 
further up the line than I normally would with a, with a young player. So, you know, what I did was I looked at Rory's swing and I saw, you know, all the good bits in it. And what I decided to do was, you know, make use of those and say, look, you know, he's got, uh, look at his stance and his alignment and his grip and his ball position and his swing, all the things to do with it and try and sort of tweak them to the way I thought that the swing would best work around Rory. And that's what we started to do. Strong grip, really, in his left hand. The right hand was OK. But that, uh, with young people, sometimes works to their advantage, where when they're young, they might need that little bit of extra feeling of strength in the left hand. And I told him all along for the next few years that at some stage you would have to change that grip because it was very much over. We call it like a, like a motorbike grip. It was really well over with the left hand. Yeah. So I told him that he'd have to change it at one time. And I think uh, he played with this. And normally when you see somebody with a grip there, you would imagine the ball's going to go left. But if they haven't got enough swing speed, they can usually hit it straight. But with Rory's technique and the way he was able to develop, I knew that that would be a problem at some stage. But it was actually, you know, Rory knew that he had to change it. So when he became, I think it was about 12, 11 or 12, he, he came to me one day and says, I think maybe we should change my grip now. Really? Yeah, you know, and I said, yeah, well, I mean, it's about time, it's a good idea, you get stronger and you're hitting the ball further, so it's going to be uh, a disadvantage to you if you keep your strong grip over there, you know, it was too far over, so he did change it there at that stage, yeah. He would have had a very, very high left arm at one time, and in fact, both of his arms were nearly straight at the top of the backswing, you know, his left arm and his right arm were very high, and, you know, young fellas like that, you just say, well, I've got to tease it back down towards your right shoulder a little bit. It's too much on your, your right ear at the top of the backswing, you know, the left arm. So we did things like that. It worked a lot in his rhythm because he had a very quick rhythm at the top of his backswing in the transition. We changed that so it was more uh, smoother, you know, from the top of the backswing to the start of the downswing. Yeah, that, that was changed as well. And he always had a very strong leg movement into the downswing. At one stage, stage it was, you know, very, very pronounced. But we, st we kept that. He always liked to have that push down into his left side. So we didn't really change it. Uh, you know, we didn't rub it out completely, really. What we did was just change it so uh, it worked. And to his advantage now, it gives him quite a bit of power. And he still likes to feel that he pushes down into his left side. And he gets quite a plunge down into that. You know, he really grabs the ground with his left foot. Oh, things like balance. And from an early age, we got him to make sure that he held his position at the finish, you know, pointing his right shoulder at the target and holding his position. So that's followed through into, into today where you can see one of his trademarks is that he holds a really nice uh, balance finished in the golf swing. I suppose in terms of uh, if you look at how the body worked, you know, there was very, very stable. You know, there's very little leg movement in the backswing and his upper body turned to a point and it didn't go too far past the 90 degrees. His hands and his arms reached that point at the same time as his shoulders and everything moved down very graceful and very much sequentially correct. And there are swings that we like to look at which are very much like that. And also the time in the rhythm, everything was, was really, really good then. What we did for those years was just make a check on the backswing, make sure that it, the takeaway was not too outside or inside. Uh, any little glitches that there were, we just fixed them. There wasn't too much to, to go wrong really then. It's always a work in progress, I feel, with, with a player like Rory. Cause yeah. it, because Rory likes to play different shots. Rory just doesn't stand and hit one shot, one shot all the time. He likes to move about. He likes to play fades. He likes to play draws, low and high. So with something like that, the, the swing can change a little bit. So 
you know, it's not like we're up against any big problem or anything. We just have to try and work with it. And yeah. I always like to work with Rory at the time. If he said, I'm hitting it well, leave me alone, well, then we just do that. Yeah. The balance yeah. that Rory creates in a swing and how he holds his finish is a great thing. Because that, that in its, itself, if you look at the picture of the finish of the golf swing, sometimes I would have tended to teach people from that position, from the finish, show them how to turn their hips, lift the right foot, face the target, and then bring them back to impact. So what I do is then get them to make a little backswing and then go to that position. Okay. Try to, as soon as you feel that you've hit the ball or cracked the ball or hear it, get through to that finish. Learn how to finish properly and face the target. You know, and that's a really good tip for anybody starting off or a high handicapper. I came across so many people in my life who, who taught, who tried to keep their head down. Just to the top, you lifted your head. Keep your head yeah, but that's down. nonsense. I've videoed thousands of people and it's very rarely I see anybody's head coming up before impact. So two fascinating bits of audio there from Rory and Michael Bannon. It's really great stuff there earlier, isn't there? Yeah. Any bits that really stand out for you? Brilliant. In what Rory was saying there about people talk about him being so talented, but him saying, actually, I have worked really hard for this, which is obvious, but people maybe don't think about it. But then Bannon saying he started with Rory at the age of eight, and he's still with him now, which is, he's 29, so he's been over... 20 years together um, saying how Rory had all the fundamentals really at the age of 8 and he was just working with them so on one hand Rory saying he's not naturally talented but then Bannon saying he is yeah I mean Rory obviously does have that natural talent it's just how he's been moulded isn't it and I think it's it shows actually Roy likes the stability in his life. He likes having the same people around him. He doesn't like them moving around too much. So I think that comes over very no. clearly there. To add to that, Roy, my opinion is obviously, and yours as well, I'm sure, Roy's being very modest there and he is exceptionally naturally talented. Uh, uh, I don't think anyone can, and can doubt that, you, yeah. You just can't teach that swing really, can you? No. It's incredible. And it's great to see him winning again. It really is, and especially, it really gets the excitement coming up now for the start of the season. So many people, big names have won this year. Rory was one of those ones who hadn't, and it's like, come on now, here's your chance again. And to win that big tour, it's such a big tournament as well. Yeah. Perhaps we should talk about the players now, but it is known as the unofficial fifth major. And there's reason for that. The field's superb. It's well um, supported. There's huge amounts of fans watching it the course is a great test as we said uh, there's double bogey opportunities all around the place but it's also great chances to go low around there as well um, um, but you've seen sorry to keep talking about Rory but you've seen like the website hits over the weekend yeah like along with Tiger Rory is the biggest star in golf yeah, by a mile especially in where you know in the United Kingdom. Uh, he, yeah, he's such a, he, he's the most popular person. People like him because he says what he says his mind. They like him because he's obviously a, a youthful talent as well. Uh, and he's just been so successful. And if he does go on to win the Masters, I do think he's going to be right up there again. Uh, then he's really going to write his name really at the top of. Um, of the best sporting personalities and the best sporting uh, achievements that anyone from the United Kingdom has ever achieved. Yeah, there's, not, there's no other Brit or... I know he's from Northern Ireland, so I've got to be careful I call him a Brit or from the United Kingdom. But there's no-one else really up there who's done as much as him. I mean, 
A lot of people talk about how well Andy Murray's been playing for tennis and, and his legacy now that he's obviously injured, not sure if he's playing again. But Rory, you would say, actually goes above that as well. And you think of all the amazing things that Murray's done. So, uh, yeah, amazing things to come. We'll wait and see whether he does. Very uh, good point there, yeah. Uh, Murray's got three majors, hasn't he? And people say that he should be considered Britain's greatest ever sportsman. Ah, I, think he's up, I think he's up there, isn't he? You think Wimbledon twice in this modern era. And but then again... This obviously isn't a tennis podcast, but like it's not. he people will say that Murray was up against the greatest era in the history of tennis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to compare sports. I think they're both going to be recognised, but uh, Rory obviously has that chance to win the Masters. He's, I think he needs to win that Masters. He really does, and yeah. hopefully he just can go keep playing in the, in the great frame of mind that he, that he currently is. Um, there were some other great stories as well at the players. And we can have a view from the clubhouse, as we've done for the last couple of weeks. Sam, again, has done a bit of audio chatting about Rory, a little bit about Rory, but also about the Sawgrass course, and especially the 17th hole. Hello, everyone. It's View from the Clubhouse time once again. I'm Sam Trimlett, and let me start by firstly saying how great the Players' Championship was. Several top players were grinding it out at the top of the leaderboard. Eddie Preppel went crazy. Uh, Jim Furyk rolled back the years, and above all else, how great was it for Rory McIlroy to win after all the criticism he has been getting? Now, I don't like to toot my own horn here, but I've been defending him for a while now, uh, like I did on last week's podcast, which you can go back and listen to at your own discretion. I said he would win, and look, he won. (laughs) Rory, if you're listening, I've always had the faith. But anyway, it was so great to see him stare the pressure down and produce some of his best golf down the stretch, and what a famous stretch it is. Uh, now, what I wanted to ask people, what I wanted to ask Tom and Elliot, is what their opinion of the Island Green 17th hole at TBC Sawgrass is. Is it actually a good, great hole, or does it go too far down the road of being gimmicky? And the reason I ask is because I've seen a fair amount of debate from both sides of the aisle, which surprised me because I believed everyone thought it is a great hole. But as it turned out, there is a fair amount of debate on the topic. From one side, it is iconic. There are not many golf holes like it. From a fan's perspective, it is exciting and there is almost a stadium-like feel to it. From a player's perspective, it is nerve-wracking. Well, actually, I can only imagine that considering I never played it, but during the tournament, the target looks very small and there's no margin for error. So again, I assume it's nerve-wracking. Others say it's the perfect kind of hole to end the tournament. It is a thorough test of your ball striking, your nerve and hitting a shot with that much adrenaline must take a significant amount of skill. But on the other hand, I ask you, is it actually a great hole? From a design perspective, it is fairly mundane, simplistic, and it feels very little design actually took place. There appears to be very little nuance and subtlety to it, and also many golfing purists dislike it because of its stadium atmosphere and juvenile hooting and hollering as balls inevitably go into the water. And if it's such a great hole, why haven't more courses and clubs looked to copy it? So it's an interesting debate. So anyway, I put the debate to you. Where do you stand on the whole? Let us know through our social media channels, Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook, at Golf Monthly on Twitter, and Golf Monthly on Instagram. I must admit, from playing Tiger Woods PGA Tour games as a kid, I thought TPC Sawgrass and the 17th was utterly brilliant. Uh, it is brilliant to watch, and whilst it may look simple, I think the wind plays more of a part than we realise, uh, and you have to cater for nerves and adrenaline when you hit. I always think it's good to have a short par 3 to test the pros every now and again like that, so... 
from my perspective, I think it's a good hold, but it'll be interesting to see where you stand on it. That's enough from me. I'll hand you back to Tom and Elliot, who hopefully will give their opinion on the debate. Once again, chat to you next week. Okay, there you go. Thanks, Sam. One thing I think Sam got wrong straight away there, which needs to be addressed, is the 17th hole is not an island green. It's a peninsula green. That's really annoys me when people say it's an island green because you can walk to it. And if you can't walk to islands, you have to fly or get boats to it. So that's firstly. <laughs> they should make it an island green and build a little taxi service, shouldn't they? Yeah, well, there is a couple of holes actually in the world where they do have little boats yeah. to, to and from. But uh, I love, the, I, as I've kind of been already saying, I love the sawgrass course. I love the way that 17th hole has been done. I know it wasn't originally planned and designed to the, be that, and the course architect's wife uh, kind of persuaded him to turn it into into that peninsula because they kept on digging, 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 and they were losing loads and loads of earth. But the whole natural amphitheatre... So we look at other great par threes or, or memorable par threes around the PJ Tour, and a lot of courses do have a water-based par three around the 16th or 17th hole of lots of courses. We've seen that a lot the last few weeks. So I don't have yeah. a... And, and they're just as gimmicky as the 17th. They've all got water to contend with. Uh, they're all quite a small target. They've all got to deal with the wind. And they're all usually in quite big amphitheatres, or what, at least one side, where there's an awful lot of play- people watching it. And then if we're going to go even further than that, look at the 16th at the Phoenix Open, where they've created an artificial amphitheatre by using stands and stuff like that. Now, what, which is better, the 16th at Phoenix or the 17th at Sawgrass? It's not even a question, is it? The 17th, well, it, is, it is a question, I've just put it to you. The 17th at Sawgrass, I think, is an incredible golf hole for what it was designed to do, which is test the world's best. So maybe it's, well, probably definitely, it's not one of the world's best par threes. It's just a green in the middle of a artificial lake. It's not a like the famous one at Royal Melbourne or Gibraltar at Moortown. Played that last year. Uh, Name drop famous other par threes like the 12th or Augusta it's probably not in that league but in terms of testing the world's best under pressure it's amazing like can you hit a pure wedge under pressure yeah, to win I, a massive tournament yeah. like when Macro stepped up there you could tell that this was a massive moment and it was only a little knockdown 9-iron like, whereas another par three wouldn't create that yeah and actually we had uh, I'm going to forget the name of the course that we had where they this was a couple of weeks ago where they lengthened their 17th hole par three to 230 yards. Are you talking about Bay Hill? I think, yes, Bay Hill. I was, that's exactly it. I couldn't remember. We've had so many recently. But Bay Hill, their 17th, they put the pin right in the top right hand corner and he had to go straight over the water 230 yards. And in the end, people weren't going for it. Oh, that's the, how it always is on that hole. Yeah. I know, but that was, but that for me ruined that hole and that made it a poor pin choice and actually. Not very exciting. They had one birdie there, I think, all day. Boring. You know... You, but it's still a great test of golf, because you've got to t- hit a good iron shot to the left side of the green. Yeah, I know, but I, I, for me, it's a test of golf, but actually, it, do, it a good golf hop is one that you can birdie and one that you can bogey, my opinion. One that is, is kind of like that risk-reward thing. And the 17th of the players, as we saw, we had everything going. We had every number going, didn't we? We had a hole in one. Yeah. We had... Probably, what did Ty get there? He seven? got seven, yeah. Yeah, and not, I'm not sure he feeds. But he should have got a double bogey. 
because he didn't need to one he didn't need to hit three balls I don't think because it I don't I didn't really pay much attention but basically he went to the drop zone too many times well, that sounds horrendous I didn't yeah. actually see it myself but uh, th- you know it, it's one of those holes where you can get any number on there and it's really exciting come the end of a tournament even if you've got a player who's a couple of shots ahead of the field if, until they've actually got past the 17th you know you're never sure what's going on there and you say the 18th is not exactly easy is it that's a very with my shot shape, I'd really struggle to play the 18th because I snap hook a lot. So no, it worked. <laughs> would work perfectly for you sometimes. <laughs> exactly. So um, no, I think it's I think it's a it's a very very decent course. It shows. You know, you said last week the players needs to have a good week this week because yeah, we've had did, a couple of boring weeks. It was, it was fantastic. Nine holes ago, we didn't have a clue who was going no. to be winning. There was about 20 people within about two shots. So you know, and it really has set the season up nicely. Because we've had all the the start of it, now we've had the biggest event outside the majors, and now we know that we've got the majors head. So brilliant! It's, it's, it was good to have it back in its normal position until it moved a few years ago. I thought the course was actually looking a bit green, a bit lusher. It hadn't got burnt so much. Yeah, um, Rory was saying that the colours of the different areas, like fairway rough, thicker rough, were different. Mm. Whereas normally in May they're all the same colour, yeah. so that really helped him with his visuals off the tee and driving. Yeah, I, I just think the course looks superb this year. I think they should. They've. I think that really cracked schedule. I, I'm really. Yeah. I really like having the players that pre-major event, and then each month we, for the next four months we've got a good major competition, and then into the the end of season stuff. So, I think it's fantastic. Really looking forward to the to golf this year. Uh, there's some other big stories which happened from the players. Firstly, let's talk about Jim Furyk, forty eight, nearly forty nine, forty nine May, played really well, finished a shot back. It's amazing, wasn't it? I loved how every time he hit an incredible shot, and he hit a lot of incredible shots that day. He just did like this really angry face, like he was trying not to smile. Do you know what I mean? Well, Furyk was always known as one of those guys who didn't show a lot of emotion actually on the course. <laughs> Actually, I think he showed quite a lot. I think he was quite tearful. Do, do you mean after the putt went in on 18? I think even before that. No, he, he just seemed to be enjoying... Because he'd not been um, really at the top of the leaderboards maybe that much for a couple of years, especially not in a really big tournament. I just think he really was enjoying the fight on a Sunday evening again. Um, and him and his cat, I mean, how, many, how old was their combined age? Something like 100 and... 30 or something like yeah. They just seem to be having a great time out there. He's playing really solid golf. Hit a great putt in 17. That could have easily gone yeah, in. It should have gone in. It actually reminded me of, of uh, at the Ryder Cup when he thought he'd hold that putt at Medina and it didn't go in and he got very, very angry through his putter and stuff like that. <laughs> this time the putt didn't go in and he just smiled. And I just think... I know the Ryder Cup captaincy's probably changed him a lot as well, but he just seems to be playing a bit more relaxed. I wouldn't be surprised if he... Has a quite decent year, actually. Yeah, uh, that eighteenth hole he played was just phenomenal, wasn't that's it? Sh- also, iron in there. A couple of air, well, a couple of things that made you see just how short he hits it compared to Rory. So on sixteen, Rory had one nine two into the pin, and he hit eight iron. Sixteen, Furyk hit like a five wood or a three wood in, and then eighteen, Furyk carried his drive like two hundred and twenty two yards or something. He hit like a low bullet draw, 
But yeah, it's just remarkable. Yeah. But Fury was always known being a very much a fairways and greens guy. Very capable of going very low on courses because he just kept in play and he's a very good iron player. So, and brilliant short game. So, no, brilliant to see him. Other, There were other things as well. What on earth was John Rahm doing on the 11th hole in the final round? Well, he was if, in a bunker. If you haven't seen it, he took on a ridiculous shot, uh, a high draw over a tree from a fairy bunker with water short right and the wind blowing to the right. But afterwards he said he would be able to get that shot on land <laughs> nine times out of ten. Yeah, so his caddy wouldn't I think have I think he's. I think this is a... We love John Rahm because he's very aggressive. He goes for the pins all the time, super aggressive, and actually he's got the game. He can actually do that. But in that situation, it, was, it showed actually sometimes you're going to have to lay up. And there's no need for go of it. He was well in the. He was only a shot back, I think, at that point. And he, you know, there's no need for him to take on that ridiculous shot, lay up. He could have still made a birdie. Yeah. On one hand, you say fair play to Ram, like he's trying to win the tournament. But then on the other hand, you do say have some patience, lay up. He could have. Uh, yeah. You but could he, eagle sixteen. He could have won the tournament another way. Yeah. You know, there's no need. He didn't need to. Because really, what he say? He's saying there. He's like saying, "I'm going for the eagle here," isn't he? If no, he's what tra- he's saying is he's not confident in making a birdie by laying up. Yeah, which I think is ridiculous. He's, yeah, it is. You know, he's a top ten player in the world. He's saying he can't get up and down from a hundred yards. That's exactly what he basically said to his caddy. I, well, I, I found that ridiculous because he can um, definitely do that. And then he, you heard, you could hear him swear on the broadcast, and he was saying like, "I felt so good before you put me off." Or, so basically, he was saying his caddy like brought in doubt Which, when actually his caddy was just giving him his honest opinion yeah yeah well that's for him and his caddy to but another thing have an argument about Ram's playing partner Tommy Fleetwood it's another f- time where Fleetwood's played really well in the tournament and he just hasn't come up with the goods on the weekend true but he f- finished fifth and Fleetwood's still trending if you think where Fleetwood was 18 months ago two years ago say he would have never been anywhere near even almost in these fields. Of course. So he's still trending in the right direction. He did not play particularly well. Actually, he didn't play particularly well Saturday. And I really, I thought he was going to win because he started the front nine on Saturday really poorly and then came back strongly and was suddenly at, uh, at the top of the of, of the leaderboard just below Ram. So to get in that final group, I thought, here we go, this is going to be his moment. And he just seemed to be missing left and right. I mean, he eagle. Eagled 16, quite flukily, got a nice bounce to put it to about two yards. Then hit, you know, he shot the 17th, is probably about six inches away from being really close. Yeah, he went hit for the it, sleeper, ended up in the in the drink. So he just left a bit too much to be done over those last few holes. He's still playing really nicely. He's playing great, and he is like 11th in the world, I think, now. But it's just a few too many times now where I think. He could have done a little bit better in big tournaments. And at the Open last year as well, he was up there after like 36 holes and fell away. Um, because at the Ryder Cup, again, he showed that he is one of the best players in the world. Indeed. So other things quick, quickly touch on. Ian Poulter wasn't very happy with the fans. No, uh, poor old Poults, isn't it? I don't get... Well, I get why the Americans don't like him. But to be fair, the fans were very loud at Sorgas, weren't they? Yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of people there. I mean, Poulter also has to... I think Poulter can sometimes take things a little bit too hard. He's very quick to, uh, you know, 
fist pump and you know, beat his chest at the Ryder Cup, he's going to get some abuse when he's in over in America. Things, I think he's got a lot of fans in America as well. A lot of people really like him. And he's got to realise that actually he gets a lot of this abuse because he's such a good player and he's played so well over this. He's playing really well. He was he was leading, wasn't he, pretty much on uh, on on the, on the Friday afternoon. So, uh, But maybe... He's, and he's also you, finished second there twice before. So. But you don't know what the fans were saying. No. But so... You, from what Poulter said, he said he didn't want his... Or he feels really bad for his children that they've heard that. Uh, his playing partner, Brian Gay, actually apologised for the fans. So... There's, really, op- there's really obviously lines... I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely not uh, saying that fan abuse is, is fine and people should be doing that. I much prefer people to go and enjoy a tournament and, uh, and, and support people. Yeah, why are people getting drunk and abusing the golfers? That's disgraceful and you wouldn't see it in Europe. I think that's a load of rubbish, Elliot. What do you think? Yeah. You th- well, firstly, there's two points you said there. Fans, if they're going there and they've paid their money, they can. They, if they're going to have a drink, they're allowed to have a drink. There is a line to to be careful, but you can go and enjoy yourself. And you- Should the PGA Tour not be controlling their fans better then? Because Justin Thomas said a lot last year, so did McElroy. Um, Poulter at the US Open last year did a very similar social media post complaining about the fans where they were like cheering when his ball was rolling off the greens. Yeah, no, no, that's that's and that's, laughing as well. It's not great, and but I will say, fans are there to support and to enjoy themselves. They pay a lot of money to go to these tournaments. They pay a lot of money, probably to, for the for the beer and 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 the food if they're having any food, and they should be allowed to enjoy themselves. But there is a line, and if they do cross that line, then they should be ejected from the from the course. There's been lots of examples of really really bad. Uh, uh, bad fan behaviour. So, um, but Poulter has also got to understand that he will then use that, and you know, to his advantage sometimes uh, in the Ryder Cups and stuff like that. So, uh, and he does maybe incite them a little bit, and people understand that. It's not great if you've got his ki- your kids wandering around, and people are calling you everything under the sun. Uh, but what the stewards have got to, you know, crack down on that. But I don't want people to be... I don't want all fans who go to golf tournaments to be tarred with the same brush as saying, oh, you go, you drink, and then you abuse it, players. There's lots of people who are more than capable to go and enjoy themselves and not abuse players. No, that was a reminder as well of what fan fans can be like in America when they get rowdy, which was brilliant. It's good to hear it, but there's and too it's, many... It's only going to... We've got the... When's Beth Page? That yeah, I know. PGA? That's in May. That's yeah. That's coming up really, really quickly. That's in New York. Uh, that is well, going it's in, to it's be in New Jersey. Crazy. It's going to be absolutely packed. It's going to be packed full of people. Whether they've had a drink or not, actually, they're going to be very loud. They're going to tell the players what they think. And what I'd say is, they're all professional sportsmen. They're all playing for lots of money. They're all getting paid lots of money. So actually, I think they probably can take it on the chin for the most part. But if anyone does cross the line, then they should be ejected. Yeah, and last to... last week was one of the first times in a while where I've heard that amount of mashed potatoes and getting the hole, and you forget about it, don't you? Yeah. On the West Coast swing and in Europe and whatever, but no, that's it. So we'll we'll, we'll take a look at it and maybe we'll, we'll touch on that again later. Uh, someone else we want to talk about Eddie Pepperell. play very well again, finished top five, top ten. Uh, he finished tied third. Tied third. 
incredible play. Two shots back. First time he played at the players. And in all his interviews, he said how much he loved the course, how much he really thought the course suited him. And actually, his, his interview after the final round, he said he didn't play very well. He just... It's just that the course suits him so well, even when he's not playing particularly particularly well, he still thinks he can actually score around there quite well. Yeah, a bit like me, actually. He doesn't hit the ball left. <laughs> sorry, sorry. He Have you just compared yourself to Eddie Pepperell? Yeah, I, sorry, I no. can relate to him, and a lot of golfers will be able to relate to him. He's a lot funnier than you. He's a lot better at golf than you. I'll stop there. Yeah, I, I struggle with a push, slice, fade or whatever, and that's exactly what he struggles with as well. Obviously, to a much lesser extent... So yeah, he, he got it round with his three wood or his driver, and he said he had like the best short game round of his life, and he felt invincible in the last six holes. He said he felt like Tiger Woods. That's good. And that was that his third best week of his career in terms of world rankings. So, so. where is Eddie Pepple now? Thirty-fifth, I think. He's playing so well, isn't he? It's brilliant. Yeah. He, he's playing really well. If you think at the, before the Open last year, he was signed up to be one of the commentators at Five Live. Managed to qualify, and they said, "Okay, well, we'll probably have you at the weekend." And he finished top um, ten. Then finished tied sixth alongside Tiger Woods. Yeah. Yeah. And since then, since that moment, he's, he's just gone he's played better and better and better, and it's brilliant to see. And he just seems to be nice, relaxed, playing good golf. Last thing we'll probably chat before we move on to this week is Butch Harmon, our favourite um, commentator. An analyst on Sky Sports, he's retiring, not from tour life, it seems to. He's going to stop going to all the tournaments and coaching on, on tour, and also he's not going to be on Sky Sports anymore by the sounds of it. He's going to continue coaching uh, at his course in Vegas, which I played at, Rio Soco. Have you played there? <laughs> no, I've never actually been to America. I, I know, that's, I'm surprised by that. But, um, yeah, he. I mean, he was a brilliant commentator. We're going to miss him, aren't we? Majorly, I love Butch Harmon. Heck of a guy, heck of a player. He's a heck of a guy, isn't he? <laughs> Everyone's such a great guy. I just love him. I love yeah. when he looks down the camera. Yeah, he, he, he talks to you. He always feels like he probably talks to you if you're watching him on your sofa. And he's a proper legend, yeah. proper golf legend. He's also really good. I always think he speaks his mind as well. He doesn't. He's not afraid to, uh, you know, to, to to say exactly what he's thinking, whether someone's played particularly well or poorly. And yeah, he gave great insight into the the mindset of some of the players so he's going to take some replacing anyone you think they're going to try and replace him with or they're going to just cover with the guys that they've got on Sky I haven't really thought about it now uh, he, he think, only works think about it now anyone, anyone that you can think that you'd like to see so let's think of who that they've had before that they could bring on Darren Clark no <laughs> the Colin um, Montgomery oh yeah I love Monty absolutely love do you like Monty I don't mind Monty I don't mind Monty at um yeah, not. I'm not a fan of Paul McGinley. Uh, I, don't, I think Paul McGinley's a good part of the team, but he's fine. But it, I don't it, go. Oh yeah, Thomas Paul Mc- Bjorn. Possibly, yeah. I mean, yeah. Obviously, slightly different characters, aren't they? They don't really have the the, the they don't really coach players on the, on tour, do they? So we'll have a think. If there's anyone that you think that you think should Sky should get into a place, Butch, let us know. Tweet but he us. only works in the majors anyway for Sky. Yeah, to, and the Ryder Cups. Yeah, it's but, not like he's a regular member of staff that goes around with them every week. No, no, absolutely not. But he still, I think, will be missing. You never know; they might get him back in every now and then. But uh, yeah, if you have any ideas about who you'd like to see Sky 
get in to cover their golf, then do tweet us at Golf Monthly or on Facebook, Golf Monthly Magazine, or Instagram at Golf Monthly. What about Peter Alice? What about Peter Alice? Sky could bring Peter Alice over from the Beeb. I don't think that's going to happen. Right? <laughs> you never know. Strange things happen. So let's look ahead to this week then. So we've got the Val Spa Championship over in America. Paul Casey defends in Florida. There's also Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Jason Day, Patrick Reed, Garcia, Stenson, Furyk. All those guys in the field. Last year, Tiger played him second, and it resulted in some huge viewing figures. Yeah, do you remember that putt you hold on the 17th? I do. After I do. a very quiet day. Akshay Bhatia plays. He's uh, USA's top-ranked junior. He's only 17 years old. He's not the best amateur in the world. So who am I going for this week? I've done very well at picking seconds and thirds for the last few weeks. So, first one, Patrick Reed. Last few years, he's played there. He's second, second, and seventh. Oh, do you remember last year? On the 18th green where he had that putt and it rolled all the way back down. I do. Yeah. So he's very good. He's very good horse around that course, as they say. Obviously, he plays quite well at this time of year as well, obviously, with the, the Masters coming up. He's been played pretty solid. I think he's made 15 straight cuts or something like that. Uh, so solid, if unspectacular. As a bit of a uh, gear nerd, Patrick Reed has a very interesting what's in the bag setup and still a free agent after winning the Masters last year. He's been a free agent since January 2018 when he left Callaway, uh, and he's just put some tightless irons in his bag mm-hmm. last week or the week before. He used a Strixton Z Star ball for one round. He's got the new Ping G410 hybrid in the bag. Still got the G400 driver. Uh, he's had artisan wedges. He's got a new Scotty Cameron putter from his Odyssey one. Uh, it's very strange. Like he eclectic, so I say. Yeah, he went to, back to Nike irons last year as well for like one week. Then went back to his Callaways, and then he also had a Nike fairway wood in the bag from like 2011 as well. So, so you're not sure what he's going to have be playing with, really, do you? No, but but it just shows you some people like the freedom to just change their clubs. And he's still, yeah, he's playing pretty well. Yeah, he hasn't had amazing uh, performances, but he's making cut after cut. So uh, I think Patrick, he's 22 to one as well, which I think is pretty decent odds for someone who's had three top tens there the last three years. Uh, and then the other person we go for, Louis Oosthuizen. So he's had a couple of good years there, seventh and a sixteenth. He did end last year and begin this year, like a you know, house of fire, with four top tens in a row. Has cooled a little bit since then, but at 40 to 1, I think he's a pretty decent each-way bet. Yeah? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. We will see. We will see. We the will thing about Louis Oosthuizen is when he plays well, he's incredible. But I just find him so inconsistent. Like He's got such an amazing golf swing. And the way he won the Open in 2010 was just ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah. But he just seems to pop up here and there just once in a while. He does. Uh, I think people would agree that he hasn't won as many times as he, as he should have done. Um, but he's a very, very solid golfer. Fortunately, of course, he very nearly won the Masters. He won, uh, lost in a playoff. Had an albatross, then if yeah. I remember rightly. So, uh, uh, yes, a little bit unlucky, but um, I think he's going to do very well. I think 41's decent odds for him. So. And the other tournament, which is this week, is the Maybank Championship. Uh, Shubanka Sharma defends in Kuala Lumpur. It's co sanctioned with the Asian Tour. Uh, players in the field include Harrington, Bjorn, Els, Jimenez. So, quite an elderly. <laughs> Field, if those those four yeah. names are to go anything by, 
Um, also, last week's winner, uh, Migliozzi, who won the magical Kenya Open, uh, also plays. Also, two times winner this season, Kurt Kitayama. And Malaysian's number one, one of the best names in golf, Gavin Green. Gavin Kyle Green as well, he used to be known because he played in the Olympics for Malaysia and that's what he was known back then. I watched him at the Open last year, actually, a really good player. Uh, so, not, yeah, that's my tip this week. Uh, coverage is uh, not that great if you're watching in the UK with very early morning starts, but it's usually going on a little bit. Uh, if you do get up about 6 or 7, it will be there and you'll be able to see the end of it. If you get up at around 3.30 in the morning, this this is the tournament for yeah, you. If that's Yes, if you suffer from insomnia. Or if you work nights. Indeed. So who, do, who am I tipping for? I've got Fabrizio Zanotti, won there in 2016. Oh, yeah. Sorry, won that in 2017, and has also had a couple of top tens. Like but he's got the yips. Do you remember at the Oman Open, he four putted? He did, but he steps. has finished second and eleventh. So if he's got the yips, he's still playing pretty well. Uh, he's 22 to one, and your favourite guy, you can say his name for me as well. Oh, Jazz Janawatananand. No, the no? Spaniard. Uh, Adrianos. Exactly. He's playing really well. 14th and 2nd last couple of weeks and he's 25 to 1 as well so I think it's a pretty decent odds for someone who uh, you know has been playing nicely last couple of weeks so yeah we'll sit, tune in next week to see if any of us and all our multiple tips have done any well so it's now time for our quiz at, what's the score? 6-4 uh, to me 6-4 to you after Sounds you clawed the, it back to 4 all. I did and uh, oh, you just about got over the line uh, last week so Sam's been doing the quiz again so t- as ever 10 questions we'll go through them all and hopefully you do better than us I'm not sure where I am mentally on the quiz this week but we'll wait and see no, so, I don't know what to expect here. indeed so question 1 of the quiz Rory McIlroy won the Player Championship to win his 15th PJ Tour title which other two players have won 15 PJ Tour title including four majors before turning 30 right so the question is which other two players have won 15 PJ Tour titles including four majors before turning 30 right okay Okay. I think I'm going to go with what everyone else will say. Question two. Who is the only golfer in the current world top ten to not have a win during the 2018-19 PJ Tour season? Wow. So that's from November onwards, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And in the well, top Well, October 10, onwards. Uh, I'm sorry, Tom, I know that answer. I, well, I... Actually, I, I might know. know. I think well. I know. I'm trying to think whether he's won. I'm not sure. I, I, yeah, I think that's right. I don't know. We'll soon find out. Question three: How many FedEx Cup points do you get for winning the Players Championship? Uh, oh, I know that one as well. Oh, do you? <laughs> Straight away. Yeah, I wrote I've, it in the article written, last week. Oh, okay, that's handy. I've written a number. I don't know again if that's right. Question four: How many people have won the Players and then gone on to win the Masters? Wow. How many people? Or? How many people have won the players and then gone on to win the Masters? Is that in the same year, do you think he's saying? Yeah. And he hasn't asked which people, he's just asked a number of how people. How many, yes, how many people? Uh, I have absolutely no idea, so I've written down a number. Question mm-hmm. five. Dustin Johnson achieved something that the players that hadn't been achieved since 1997. What was it? Wow. Do you know this? No. I'm going to guess. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I've, I've just plucked some kind of stat out of it. I have no idea. I've, I've guessed it, but that's tricky. Right, Chris Six, Guido Migliosi jumped 377 places in the world rankings after winning the Magical Kenya Open. What is his world ranking now? Closest wins. Ah. Oh. Do you know this? No. I think I know this. Why? Because I looked this up. Oh, that's a disgrace. <laughs> I've guessed. I, I think I do know that. I think I've lost that one. <laughs> uh, question seven. How many first-time winners on the European Tour have there been this season? Whoa. Ah, oh, God. That's... Well, we don't have time to work that out, so... Well, I'm just going to write a number. I've written a number. Question eight. How many shots did Paul Casey win last year's Valspar Championship by? Ooh. I don't know. I can't remember. I've written a number. I don't know. I've had to guess. Question nine. In what year was the first Maybank Championship tournament? Um, I, I think I know that. I think I know that too. Because I've had to look up the winners, so I think I know it. Okay. And question 10. Despite not playing since the WGC Mexico, which Englishman narrowly qualified for the WGC Dell Technologies match play with the final qualifying spot? Say that again. Yes, I'm going to have to read it again. Despite not playing since the WGC Mexico, which Englishman narrowly qualified for the WGC Dell Technologies match play with the final qualifying spot? So I've got to think of uh, an Englishman who hasn't played since Mexico. And who's ranked 64th in the world. And who's around that. Okay. It's between two. I've gone for... It's between two. I've gone for one. It's between two, is it? Well, in my mind, I can't... I'm I'm struck... Yeah, whether my mind's correct or not, I don't know. Well, have you written something? No, I haven't written something. Well, write something quickly. He's written something. Right, here we go. Question one. Oh, wait, no, sorry. I think I've... I've just remembered. Also, can you repeat question five? Dustin Johnson achieved something at the players that hadn't been achieved since 1997. What was it? Right, oh, you're, you're not very confident. Neither, well, not well, neither, neither of us are confident. Right. Roy McIlroy won the player Championship to win his 15th PJ Tour title, which other two players have won the 15 PJ Tour titles, including four majors, before turning 30. I put Tigers and Jack Nicholas. Yeah, me too. It's Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods. Tick. Who is question two, who is the only golfer in the current world top ten to not have a win during the 2018-19 PJ Tour season? I think it's Justin Thomas. What do you think? It's John Rahm. Didn't John Rahm win? Justin Thomas. John Rahm won. Uh, something or other. <laughs> you said you got that. Oh no. <laughs> No one likes to see that. Question three. Oh. You're going to get this one now. How many FedEx Cup points do you get for winning the Players' Championship? I put 500. 600. It is 600. Good. Uh, so annoying. Question four was how many people have won the Players and then gone on to win the Masters? I guessed at four. Two. Tiger and Phil. One. Tiger Woods in 2001. Oh. According to Sam. Question five. Dustin Johnson achieved something at the players that hadn't been achieved since 1997. What was it? I said he eagled the same hole every round. What did you say? He didn't hit a ball in the water. He didn't hit... Surely some people... That's what I just made Surely that. someone... Would have, there must have been loads of people that haven't done that. 
the answer is he had all four rounds in the 60s. Wow. Last person to do that was still Steve Elkington. None of us got that right. I thought that was quite a good answer, mine. Never mind. Question six is the one I knew. Migliosi jumped 377 places in the world rankings after winning the Magical Kenya Open. What is his world ranking now? I put 199. I've got 184. 199. It's just so happened I was looking at the world rankings and they have So you're one ahead with four to play. Well, we've got a long way to go. Question seven. How many first-time winners in the European Tour have there been in the season so far? I guess at five. I said three. Seven. Seven, wow. Rye, Kitayama, DeChambeau, Law, Fox, Harding, Migliosi. Tough. That is a tough one. Question eight. How many shots did Paul Casey win last year's Valspar Championship by up at three? One. Oh, no. It's either one or two. It was one. Yes. Oh, I, could square, rem- I could not remember that. I could not remember at all. Question nine. In what year was the first Maybank Championship tournament? Now, I think it's 2016. Oh, I've gone for the same. 2016. So all down to the last question then. That was a tick, yes. Question ten. Now, despite not playing since the WGC Mexico, which Englishman narrowly qualified for the WGC Dell Technologies back play with a final qualifying spot? I put Lee Westwood. Oh, I put Lee Westwood as well. So it's a draw. The other, right? per- the other, per- I don't know, I haven't looked. The other person who I was thinking, who I didn't put down, was Ross Fisher. I was going to put Ross Fisher. So like, they're the two, but I think it's Westwood. It can't be Ross Fisher. Westwood. Oh, there we go. So, what was the scores? I got lost. One, two, three. I got five. Is that right? One, two, three, four, five, yes. Yeah. If you're counting Tiger and Jack as just one. Yes, and what did you get? I got five as well. It was a draw. Fantastic. So, so that means it's seven, five in our team total, okay. our overall total. So great news. Hopefully you guys are better than our pretty average five. Uh, thanks again for listening. Next week we'll be back to look at who won the Valsoir Championship and the Maybank Championship and also look ahead to the WGC Match Play Championship. Do, as ever, subscribe to the podcast or rate us if you're on iTunes. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at Golf Monthly, Instagram at Golf Monthly, Golf Monthly Magazine or Facebook. Check out the Golf hyphenmonthly.co.uk website and also go to the Golf Monthly YouTube channel. Thanks ever for listening. Elliot, good to see you. Thanks Tom, good to see you too. Indeed, and we'll talk again next week.